This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Yes, good evening. It's myself, Ben Thomas, with another Twilight Show on Tuesday uh, from a very sunny Reading tonight, actually. Uh, my guest tonight has uh, very good links with Reading, actually. We've got John Cosgrove on the show tonight, and we're going to be talking about the state of education in 2023. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Yes, indeed. Just in case you didn't get that from the intro, we are live on Teachers Talk Radio for the next, uh, probably the next hour or so, really. We've got, um, I've got, rather, I've got John Cosgrove on the show. Um, Can't wait for him to join us very, very shortly. Uh, He's he's kind of, well, he's a a retired head teacher. Um, I say political, that's not quite right. Education uh, commentator, written some fantastic blogs recently. So we're going to be getting into that in just a short while. Um, I hope you've had a really good week. It's it's kind of quite crazy that this is the first or the start of the first full week that we've all worked in in a while, really, with all the bank holidays and, you know, strikes and potential polling stations that, that your schools may or may not have been as well. So, yeah, it's, um, I already feel like it should be at least Thursday and we're only on the end of Tuesday. Um, lots of things to discuss on the show tonight. We're obviously going to have... Uh, you know, the new segment, there's a lot of things circling at the moment that, that are in education that are kind of circling around that we, we, we probably need to focus on. But um, it's, you know, it's, it's a crazy, crazy period of time for, for education in general, really. Um, and it's, it's very, very uh, difficult to, to, to see past some of those huge issues that, that we're all experiencing, uh, to be honest. And uh, John is going to help us kind of pick through those when he joins us later on. But overall, you know, it's it's been um, it's been an interesting start to the the first part of the summer term. Really, it's um, it's kind of one of those strange things where it's <laughs> you, you kind of get to Christmas and you feel like um, it's you know you, you kind of feel like the end of the year is is a long way off, and actually it just circles back round and uh, you you <laughs> you're back into May getting ready for uh, certainly in, in, in our school, you know, the, the, the year six sats that were last week, the year two sats were kind of going on as well. And then, of course, you've got transitions to secondary schools and all the things that come with, um, you know, the end of the year, really, in terms of, of in terms of school. So it's it's interesting times. Um, it's it's something that, <clears throat> you know, we're all kind of working through and, and, and doing the best we can with it, really. But it's it's interesting. You know, there's there's been a lot of news articles um you know, I guess since it's kind of the strike action started up and and how people were moving forward with that, really, um, you know, there seems to be a lot more focus on on kind of like the mainstream media on, on what's going on in education. Um, and, and one of the things that, that you might have seen today, um, which, you know, we, we can probably unpick a little bit more. I'd love to, I'd love to get John's views on that, um, is to do with, you know, um, Nick Gibb, the, the schools minister, thinking about reviewing the the reading paper the SAS paper from um last week 
So it's it's kind of um it's kind of an interesting one for that to make uh, you know mainstream media because in the grand scheme of things, you know anyone involved with with the Sats last week will know that it was it was very very difficult and um, you know a lot of children up and down the country struggled with it, even what we'd class as, as potentially good readers. But it's 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 one of those where <clears throat> you know they've decided to kind of look at it in a bit more detail um, and analyze it kind of a, a lot more than than maybe was was previously going to be the case. But on the same day, and I'll, I'll kind of read parts of this because this was an article that I had uh, saved. The headline on Sky News is children's reading ability compared around the world as England moves up the rankings. Um, and, and this is on, you know, this is on Sky News. This is not, uh, you know, a secret article. It's kind of alive and exclusive on on, on their site. Um, the, the kind of the, the tagline is England's nine and 10 year old pupils have landed a top five place in new international rankings for reading. Um, based on tests, which are usually carried out every five years, England achieved fourth place in a global education league table following the latest progress in international reading literacy study. And that is PRLS, just in case you love an acronym. Um, it goes on to say that Singapore gained the top spot um, with an average score of 587 out of 43 countries as the reading levels of nine and 10 year olds were tested at the end of the school year. And what what's fascinating about this <clears throat> is that it's almost contradictory to what, you know, seasoned um, educational professionals were saying last week when we had to sit the SATS paper or our children had to sit the SATS paper. And, uh, you know, we, we're not allowed to go into details until they're kind of uh, published, which, again, is another farcical rule of, of Key Stage 2 SATs. But, you know, they were tough. You know, there was there was a lot of extra words on there um, that, that wouldn't have been on previously. And actually, what, you know, our, our, our children found in our school was that they had to sift through an awful lot of, of language um, and an awful lot of, of questions that were, you know, I, I felt de- designed to catch them out, really. Um, but we're being told that actually, um, you know, children sort of nine and 10 <clears throat> are coming forth in the world, uh, y- you know, with, with their reading ages and their reading abilities, which, which is quite fascinating, really. Um, the, the, the two don't, don't quite sit really because it, you know, as I said, it kind of felt like the, the reading sets paper was, was designed to, to catch, um, people out or children out. So it's, you know, go and have a read of that. It's, it's, it's not anything that's particularly groundbreaking but it is interesting uh the article goes on to say that girls ahead of boys uh or are ahead of boys in in nearly every country um and that's you know that's something that traditionally we've always had to deal with as particularly as primary educators but you know there's a lot more um there's a lot more opportunity now for boys to to get into reading and i'm i'm hoping that you know moving forward we won't compare you know the kind of the sexes of children to to what the other one can do um because you know reading should be should be should come from passion right it should come from uh stuff that is you know intrinsically interesting to those children you know that we want children to pick up books want children to read and we want children to to read for pleasure and my kind of frustration with the sats is that it it kind of destroys that a little bit you know if you think about you know anyone who's done a kind of done a reading teaching unit and 
you know, you, you kind of go through the process and you map out the skills that you want to cover in a particular text or um, particular piece of, of, of writing, for example. You know, you, you do a lot of the embedding, first of all. You know, you talk about the text, you analyse it, you gather opinions if you're really kind of, you know, pushing it and and and, and giving it some. And I think <clears throat> what, what SATS does is it, you know, certainly the, the SATS reading paper is it kind of puts the children on the back foot. So they're being basically forced to read something they've never come across. You know, the, the context is is always key. I, I've I've you know kind of started uh, reading long term reading units and, and picked a book, you know, based on on the kind of the the list that we're given, and just within you know probably ten minutes have realised that actually it's not it's not suitable for for those children in terms of the context. So. There's um you know there's a lot of elements in terms of, of of the reading not not catering to that. I read an interesting blog, um you know towards the end of last week where there was someone who was suggesting that reading should be teacher assessed in the same way that we now uh, assess writing. Obviously, I know that there is moderation attached to that from local educational authorities. I know some of you will will have had that joy having done all the sats on on the Friday, and then be kind of given. Um, an opportunity to then be moderated. So there's there's a lot of issues there, really. Um, but th- this blog kind of went on to talk about, you know, we, we want children to have a love and an enjoyment and an engagement for writing because that's that's kind of when you truly get their, their core skills out and their abilities kind of showing. <clears throat> but actually what we want to see that is reading as well. You know, I, I, I don't think as much as we don't like doing them, the, the argument isn't quite the same for maths because it's, or it should be fairly straightforward to create, you know, three papers to, to test the ability of children, you know, within that, um, you know, within those parameters, but with reading, you know, that I thought it was a really interesting kind of, um, it wasn't an argument so much, but just a kind of a statement really in, in terms of actually getting them to, to be teacher assessed moving forward. Um, Obviously, the flip side of that is how do you moderate that? You know, what evidence do you gather for reading? But actually, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, for being able to to kind of moderate and 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 teacher assess reading rather than giving them uh, a large sats paper. So, I, I thought that was that was a really really interesting um, piece of writing. You know, kind of a you know a statement to make really. And then of course, you know, we've got. <laughs> The other flip side of that is is the year two sats, which you know we know ultimately are going, but are never kind of um, I say given importance. That's not the right word, but they're not as as kind of rigid as as maybe the the, the key stage two sats are delivered. So there's there's a lot of of kind of um, opposing views in education at the moment, and a lot of of differences of opinion. You know, from from a whole range of topics, really. You know, behaviour um messages from you know matt ceos all this kind of stuff is is kind of put into the melting pot and and that's yeah that's kind of what we're going to be focusing on um to today really with 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 my guest uh, john cosgrove who i believe is is here with us now live john are you there sir i am here can you hear me i can hear you yeah i can hear you how are you well i'm fine thank you I, i'm having palpitations because I've been listening to you for the last 10 minutes and couldn't work out how to get into the room and, and but that's sorted now. <laughs> no hope. problem. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed that kind of um, 
well, monologue is it a monologue? I don't know. Ten <laughs> ten minutes of me wittering on. It's quite nice to to kind of talk into an empty void sometimes without people disagreeing with me. So that was <laughs> that was the point of that really. But you know, John, we've we, I kind of introduced you briefly, but for those mm-hmm. people that are just joining us and, and obviously yourself, you know, you've you've had quite a career really, you know, re- retired head teacher now. Um, I would say, you know, probably one of the most prominent um education commentators there are at the moment in terms of the you know the articles and the blogs that, that you are producing we're going to kind of focus on those a little bit more later on but just just talk to us a little bit about your career to date because it, it's been um it's been quite a long one for you hasn't it well yeah 40 years um i i started teaching well i actually started in the 70s would you believe this is that's a very long time ago um and my first teaching post my first full-time uh, permanent teaching post was in a secondary school in Cornwall uh, in 1981 I took that that post and I taught secondary Spanish and French for 12 years I thoroughly enjoyed that but one of my jobs at the time after three or four years of, of working in the secondary school I got a job as a primary liaison so that was in addition to teaching obviously and what that meant was that I was going round the primary schools in our local area, our partner primary schools, and I was talking to the children in in their in year six, and they were coming to to our school, and I was showing them round and so on. And I was going into primary schools and seeing what was happening in primary schools and talking to primary teachers. And as I went round, the more I was doing this, the more I was thinking I actually really like what's happening in primary schools. I think maybe, although I was thoroughly enjoying my job maybe primary schools might be um, might be the place for me. So I did make the jump. I made the jump in 1992 and um, I moved into primary schools. And I was very fortunate because I got a job as what was then called a Section 11 teacher in London. And the Section 11 were referred to a section of the Home Office, uh, of, of, yes, a, a, an act of, passed by the Home Office. And it provided for children who were in English schools, but for whom English was not their main language, to have a um, a, a dedicated teacher in the school, not for every child, obviously, but a dedicated teacher in the school to help them with the adaptation to, well, to, to learning in the classroom. And so I was in a primary school, um, a Actually, it was two schools side by side, a a junior and an infant school. So I was in these two schools for about 18 months. And I was able to, I had the terrific privilege of going into classes of all ages, working with, supporting, helping children of all ages from nursery up to year six. And so I had almost, if you like, an apprenticeship in a primary school without having to take responsibility for a class. Then in 1994, the then government, uh, the John Major government, cancelled the Section 11 programme. So the funding finished. And so I then got a job in a primary school as a year six teacher, uh, again, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Moved on from there to be a deputy head back in Cornwall and from there on to a head to be a head teacher in Reading, which, again, I've been terrifically privileged throughout my career because everything I've done, I, I have really enjoyed. I, I've enjoyed working with children. I've enjoyed working in a range of schools. I've enjoyed working with staff of all kinds and, and, and the parents who are very, very, I, f- I found very, very supportive in the main because 
what they want is the best for their children. And if you're hoping to give the best to, to their children, if you're trying your best, then they're on your side, they, they, they will help. So yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my career. I think, you know, you used two words there, um, one kind of many times, but you used the word privilege mm -hmm. and you used the word um, enjoyment an awful lot and, and kind of variations of that word. And I think, <clears throat> you know, one of the one of the main reasons I got you on, John, is because you, you know, you're not, from what I understand, you're not directly involved with, with any school now, but you have um, very very strong views, very clear views, mm. um, in, in my opinion, very articulate views on, on where education currently is. And I, you know, from my point of view, I've been, I've been a teacher now for 16 years, kind of various different roles, all kind of Berkshire based, as, as you know, kind of very well, this area. Um, mm. And it, it, it strikes me, John, that the, the general mood of the profession at the moment is not one of privilege, is not one of enjoyment, is not one of, of, you know, really, loving what's going on there's there's a lot of passion and there's a lot of people that are kind of sticking with it because they you know in some respects feel they have to but would you would you kind of agree with the fact that there is very little um enjoyment you know generally speaking in the profession at the moment i certainly see an awful lot of disillusion i see an awful lot of pressure i see teachers who are feeling under a, a lot of pressure and desperately unloved um, and that's not just about the pay. It's about the fact that in the last five or six years, the number and the uh, availability of teaching assistants has dropped. So working conditions for teachers at all levels has have, have got um, harder. And there's a lot more pressure on schools, on teachers to produce results, measurable results. And that has has really altered the relationships, I think, and, and altered the job. Um, I, I think it is a terrific privilege. And I think it's a terrific privilege to think that parents trust us with their children, that, that parents will, will would say to me, look, here is my child. I, I'm going to give you my child for five hours every day for the next 195 days. And I trust you to help that child to grow and to develop and to learn. And I, th I think, you know, that, that that is a terrific level of trust. Um, and I think you probably still can enjoy the relationships with the children. I think you probably still can enjoy the relationships with staff. I think in schools where the senior leadership team are very clear about what they're doing and very clear about their will wish to support um, the teachers and, and, and the teaching assistants. I think there, there is still enjoyment. I think there can still be a satisfaction. I'm not, um, as you say, involved in a school at the moment, but I've been into two schools recently to do a little bit of charity work. And I've also, my, my eldest daughter is a head teacher and one of my um, sons has just got a job as a deputy head. So I know first or second hand from them and from others in my family who, who are still teaching in the classroom that you still can get job satisfaction despite the, the, the pressures that there are. But I've never known a time when teachers have been under such pressure and when there has been such widespread disillusion in, in the profession. I, I think it's very, very sad. Uh, and and I. I do think, 
you know, we, we, we had a government that came to power in 1997 that, that, that came to power on the mantra of education, education, education. And we've, we've now got a government which doesn't seem to care very much at all about education. It, we seem to have gone completely the opposite pole. It, the, the funding isn't there, the um, care for teachers, the care for staff, the, the care for pupils isn't there. I mean, I, I really don't don't see the commitment from government that we have had in the past and that our, our children deserve. We're going to talk, um, you know, a little bit later on as we as we go through the show about, you know, what what you feel are the, are the biggest issues. You kind of alluded it to, alluded to it there, and you know, I'll be completely. Um, open with everybody you know what the main reason I got you on John is because I agree with with pretty much everything you say and and what what marks you out from other people is that you kind of and we'll talk about the you know the articles and the blogs that you've written later on but you're very very clear on what you would do um, and what your suggestions would be to kind of move things forward um, I just I just kind of want to focus back on I'm, I'm kind of picking at threads in terms of what you're saying and you know you use the word trust there mm-hmm. um, and it, you know, it, it doesn't take um, someone to be incredibly clever to work out that trust is the most important part of, of any job, let alone education. And I've, you, you know, like you, I've I've worked in a, a number of different settings and, and schools, and where it's worked is that there's trust between all stakeholders, whether that's parents to teachers, whether that's children to teachers, whether that's teachers to other teachers, you know, senior leaders to. Um, TAs, whatever it is, that the trust has to be there. Why? <clears throat> why do you feel that? You know, you, you kind of mentioned about the government um, and, and their kind of behaviour towards education. Why do you feel that the the government, in particular, are not trusting of teachers at the moment? Is it is it kind of like um, has it been a big bang moment in the profession? Has it been a kind of a gradual decline of of that relationship? You know, in in your opinion, John, what what is the main reason for that lack of trust? Do you know, I think that there is a view on the part of, of government ministers that teaching is the kind of thing that sort of anybody can do. I don't know, you you won't remember this, Ben, because because you're much younger than me. I'm, I'm a very old man. But back in 1992, when John Major won the, the general election, he had plans for a mum's army because his idea was that volunteers would come in and would work in schools and would transform schools and would do all the teaching and i see this 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 attitude that anybody can teach that that you don't really need um you don't really need specific skills that you don't really need to be dedicated that it's an easy job it's what is it it's just looking after children anybody can do that and anyway i see that attitude in things like changes to the initial teacher training framework now, I don't get me wrong, I think school direct, I think school based teacher training can be absolutely fantastic. And I, I ran a consortium for school direct. But I do worry that routes into the profession from um, sort of an apprenticeship level, if you like, in school direct and, and other school based systems, routes into the profession from from those directions do not have the underpinning that you and I had from our well, I didn't do a PGC, I, I did a B.Ed., but from the PGCE or the B.Ed. route, where you have the philosophy, you have the psychology, you have um, 
things on behavior management. You, you, you have an overarching thing about this treating what you're doing, not as a job, but as a profession. And I've seen the, sort of, the same sort of thing in, in, in other areas. I mean, there was a, a proposal last week in the NHS to for it was floated by by a government minister or by a Tory MP or somebody um, saying that no it was a government minister saying that um, we could make up for the lack of numbers of doctors by having apprentices straight out of school they wouldn't necessarily go to to, to um, medical school they would go straight into to hospitals and and learn specific trades now that. I think in, in hospitals is a ludicrous idea, but it's actually what's been done in schools, isn't it? We, we, we have deprofessionalized the, the, the profession, if you like. And, and I do think that there's an attitude on the part of government that, that really what we do is not very difficult, it's not very important, and pretty much anybody can do it. And if we can't do it properly, then um, they'll, they'll get others, any Tom, Dick or Harry to come and do it. You know, it, it, it's... Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. I think that's a really good comparison to, to run it in terms of what they try to do with, with doctors in the NHS. And, you know, they, as, a, as a general body, they seem to be at loggerheads with, with any public service, really, which, which is bizarre, um, yeah. considering that, you know, the behaviour of, of, of how they were in the pandemic, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, when you think about it, the, the way, I mean, I wasn't in school during the pandemic, but, but the way the profession responded in the pandemic and teachers were coming in and working in schools knowing that they didn't have the protect protections that people had in other jobs other workplaces other settings but they were coming in they were working with children they were working throughout the pandemic at the start of the pandemic when we had the lockdown teachers had to learn a whole new set of skills doing the online teaching doing the the um the interactive teaching all of that that teachers did but fundamentally the government wants to save money and so it, it's not really very concerned about teachers because, as I said, there's an attitude that pretty much anybody can do this job. And, and, and I find that very, very sad. Uh, it reminds me, actually, and, and this is going off a tangent, a complete tangent. But my father was a head teacher, a head of a, head of a, of a secondary school. And I remember him saying to me once talking about lunch duties, because when you do a lunch duty in school, you can claim for a duty lunch so you can you can um, have a free lunch. Now, I don't know what school dinners cost now. It used to be about £1.90 when I was was ahead. But I remember him grumbling to me towards the end of his, his um, time as, as a head, saying, you know, they took away from us our lunch times. We gave them away during the war for the war effort. And they've never given them back. And all they give us in place is 50 pence for a lunch and that shows how long ago it was because <laughs> he, <laughs> he was teaching in those days but you know there's a point to that isn't there that, that you know governments want to save money and if they can get away with 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 not giving you the rate for the job or paying properly for what you do then they probably will i think it's it's all you know we we know as as people kind of involved and, and kind of taking the pulse of, of what's going on that it's all all linked you know you, mm. you you read those absolute horror stories of of you know kind of awful instances involving children where they're kind of the aggressors in situations i think there was mm. there was one i think probably today or, or or over the weekend where they had the 11 year old and, and the police officer and, and and that kind of thing and it's it's all linked you know it's it's mm. in order to kind of 
at least alleviate some of those uh, situations. You know, schools need to be properly backed and and mm-hmm. properly funded. And and you know, we're gonna we're gonna talk about kind of like I say a wish list, John, but you know, mm-hmm. things that you would change. Um, you know, almost immediately if you were given the power to be able to do that. Um, we're going to hear from our sponsors very briefly, and then we'll be right back on The Twilight Show with myself, Ben Thomas, and uh, my very esteemed guest, uh, John Cosgrove. So bear with us, and we will be back in just a few moments. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. All right, that was a message from the Happy Confident. Um, if only the profession was happy and confident at the moment, John. That's that's kind of what we want to unpick uh, with you today on the show. So, I mean, we've I kind of had a look, um, you know, in preparation for the show and, and just kind of, I, I don't spend a huge amount of time looking at, at, at teacher notice boards and I say interacting with teachers, that's not quite right because obviously I'm running this show on mm. Teachers Talk Radio. But, you know, kind of the, the, the main things that, that, that really came out as, as kind of common threads, um, and these were in no particular order, were kind of uh, testing. So obviously very topical at the moment with the Year 6 SATs uh, last week and the Year 2 SATs that are kind of ongoing you know, up and down the schools in the assessment window at the moment. Uh, teacher autonomy, which has, has been a big thing, not just for the kind of the professional discussion, uh, discussion, but you know for for this radio station as well. Um, you know, there's been quite a few uh, comments and and shows around teacher autonomy. Uh, from a senior leadership point of view, recruitment and retention kind of bundle those together, um, and and generally, you know, we we kind of touched on the trust, but what what's linked to that is is the lack of money to be able to do the things that schools need to do from a you know not even from a wish list point of view but from a, a very basic point of view um you know simple resources you know you made a really good point about the school lunches there but that's something else that that's part of that discussion so you know for you john in terms of the the, the work that you do the people that you speak to the schools that you go into as you said for for the kind of the charity work what what are the kind of main issues uh, for you in education at the moment? You know, the, the kind of state of play of, of education in 2023. And and kind of on top of that, what, what would you do to kind of solve those specific issues or at least try and solve those specific issues? Um, I know you've, you've written, um, you know, some some fantastic articles, which we will we will talk about in the latter half of the show. But in, but in terms of those kind of those key topics what what are the main issues for you that you can see at the moment well i think the the big one at the moment for for everybody i think is is proper remuneration for teachers um proper funding for schools so that we can afford the the teaching assistants we can afford the resources we can afford the the trips we can afford to do the best for, for children so i i think we should be restoring uh, education funding, schools funding, to at least 2010 levels. Um, in the Blair years, it went up year on year. Since 2010, it has gone down. So uh, we do need to to re- restore funding to previous levels. We need to, to look at, um, as I say, teacher retention and recruitment you mentioned, but 
remuneration for teachers is key in that and also a reduction in workload and that's where teaching assistants can come in that's where proper resources come in and that's where things like um, PPA come in because you know before we had PPA it was very hit and miss whether you would get a, a well in primary school you didn't get any time to, for um, assessment or marking um, not in the school day so what we need to we need to make sure that we get those those entitlements and that the, the job becomes attractive to people again and that's again where you know you mentioned trust that, that that's where trust is important but I do think one of the biggest really big issues in education at the moment that affects children and and that's really what schools are all about affects children hugely is the fragmentation of our system we've had since 2010 a fairly incoherent policy first there were the free schools then there were the single academies then there were the uh, incentives to encourage schools to become single academies so there was a hundred thousand pounds on offer as, as a initial bribe at one stage and then it was if three schools got together and, and formed a multi-academy trust then there would be um fifty thousand pounds between them that so there, there were at different stages that there have been different um iterations of of the structures around um schools and what's happened is that we've got and, and i'm thinking about reading now because you and i both know reading very well and in reading i would say um, I would say that, that in Reading, which is only a small local authority, I know at least half a dozen multi-academy trusts who have schools in Reading. And then there are some schools which are still local authority schools. And what that means is in that very small geographical area, you have institutions, mats, none of whom are responsible for all the young people in the area. And then children fall through the gap that the, there are, for instance, and, and now I'm moving outside Reading because I'm not saying that Reading is is um, like this or Reading is the worst for this or anything. But nationally, there are thousands, literally thousands of children with special educational needs who have no educational provision at all. Now, that's not children who are home educated. That's children who have no educational provision at all because they fall through the gaps, because nobody is taking responsibility for them, because the local authority, which in theory has the responsibility, doesn't have the power anymore. It can't say to schools, we need you to take these pupils because the schools are academies. The only person who can say to them, you must take a pupil is the secretary of state and the secretary of state usually chooses not to exercise that power. Another example of this is when a child moves schools. Now, I had a child in my um, in my school. Well, in fact, I had a family in my school whose parents told me that they were moving to Swindon and they were moving to Swindon because dad had got a new job and the housing was cheaper and they and they were, you know, they were happy to go to Swindon. So they moved two weeks after Easter. Two weeks after that, the man rang me in my office in, in Reading and he said, look, I can't get the children into school. Can, can you can you help? And so I did ring the, the, the um, local authority in Swindon, but the local authority in Swindon couldn't really do anything because what happens is when a child moves from one local authority district to another, they uh, during the school year, this is 
they then have to apply if there are academy trusts in the area they have to apply to each individual academy or school because they're all um their own individual um admission authorities so they have to apply individually to all these places and then they have to wait for the four or five weeks or whatever it is to get a response from them and in the end you have children who end up missing months literally months of education and 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 this is this is particularly iniquitous i think um that is particularly particularly bad for children who are in care in the care of local authorities children in the care of local authorities very often have to move from their home area uh, don't get me started on why that is because it should <laughs> yeah but they do they very often have to move from from their local home area so they're taken away from their family they're taken away from their friends they're taken away from their relationships all their links and so on and then they find that they can't get into a school and i was talking to a young man in in, in town here at the moment i live in a small town in, in west cornwall which is you know where i i taught for many years but um but i'm living in this small town in west cornwall and two saturdays ago I met a man in the street and, and he said something that that piqued my interest and I just said, oh, excuse me, did you just say, um, I, I don't want to interfere and I wasn't eavesdropping, but, but did you? And it turned out, anyway, we got chatting, very, very nice young man. He was 24. He had um, been in care. He was a care leaver and he had had 20 different placements. So I said to him, well, what happened about school? And he said, well, I didn't go to school. He said, not really. I mean, I might have done a week here or a week there, but I, I, I didn't go to school really. And the placements that, that children have, I mean, there was a report written, uh, I wrote a couple of blogs about this a, a few years ago. There was a report written by the Children's Society, which was followed up by another report written by the Children's Commissioner of the time, um, not the present Children's Commissioner, but Anne, I've forgotten their surname. Anyway, sorry, the, 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 the Children's Commissioner at the time. And they they were talking about precisely this, that the Children's Society report was called Pass the Parcel because children were being moved from one placement to another, from one local authority to another. And they effectively, according to the Children's Commissioner, many of them were not having anything like what you would expect in the way of an education. And, and I mean, that's absolutely frightening, isn't it? To, to consider that, you know, I, I, I believe you said he was 24 for most of his life to, to not be in, you know, a, a consistent school or at least a school consistently yeah. um, is is quite concerning. And, and you know, Johnny, I would imagine that it, it, it still happens and I would imagine that there are situations there and and that, you know, that system effectively <clears throat> plays into the hands of of safeguarding issues mm -hmm. um, absolutely yeah you know, yeah yeah absolutely this is these children who are not in school and you're absolutely right ben it does happen it happens every day to now it, it really it does still happen um but these children are, are are prey for for grooming gangs they're prey for they're not in school so they've got no friends around their family are in some cases hundreds of miles away so they are prime candidates for somebody to come and befriend them and the county lines drug running uh many of them or not many but but some get involved in 
the, um, the the grooming gangs that we've seen uh, it, so much talk about recently um they're prime candidates for those it, it, it's a really really desperately sad situation and at the same time we are told that children in care are one of the government's priorities they want us to close the gaps educationally and because of the fragmentation of, it, of education we simply cannot we cannot um help these children another prime example of this is children who are evicted from home now last last year the shelter estimated that 120,000 uh, children were in temporary accommodation now i don't know how, how this has affected you in your school but i knew in my school in reading several families who were evicted from their homes and they would end up in basingstoke or slough sometimes further afield they would then have the issue of getting their children to school now people who've been evicted from their homes by their very by definition are not the wealthiest people in the world and sometimes they simply couldn't afford to bring the children to our school so they would go to schools locally and apply for places but the schools locally would put them off or would say no you have to wait just like the family i told you about before who who, who moved to swindon and so I have known children leave our school and be out of school for weeks or months. And yeah, I mean, it, you know, you, you made the point about temporary accommodation. I mean, from, from our point of view, and, and this is not exclusive to our school in Reading, um, you know, there are, there are so many uh, children coming from overseas that are placed in, in hotels, that, which, you know, people have, have, have obviously read about in, in the media. Um, and, and what we find is that they are, they're given uh, our school or other schools because of the locality to, of the school to where they're currently staying. And then they're, they're kind of given, uh, you know, more permanent accommodation. And it might be that, that that's the other side of, of town, the other side of Reading, the other side of, of you know, wherever they're, they're based in the country, yeah. which then obviously affects their attendance because they've got to get um they've even got to get transport they can't afford or they've got to walk because they can't afford the transport so all these issues then become bound up in you know effectively um become the school's problem and problem's not the right word but you know it's kind of the school is responsible or, or left to be responsible for these issues that are through no fault of, of the school's organization whatsoever and ultimately you know what what happens in these cases as you know john is that the children suffer the parents suffer yeah. and then it just increases the anxiety all around really yeah. um because of you know the messages from the DfE, the messages from Ofsted when when schools are inspected, the messages mm -hmm. around safeguarding. So th there are so many kind of little threads that add up to such huge issues for these children, where mm -hmm. they end up, as you say, with 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 the guy that you gave an example of. You know they're not they're not in education, and that's that's a real that's a real concern from 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 every school in the country's point of view that, that has mm -hmm. to experience this. Um, you, you know, you made the point earlier about local authority schools and, and you know, perhaps the, the conflict of interest when they're run by an academy. What What is your view currently on, you know, the, the kind of effective forced um, academisation of schools following certain Ofsted? You know, what what are your opinions on that at the moment, John? I think that's that's disgraceful. I really do. 
Um, it was one thing to say schools might opt out of local authority control. This this happened. Um, I mean, it was Michael Gove's uh, brainchild in in the present incarnation, but it happened back in the major government as well. That 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 some schools were able to be be grant maintained they were able to opt out of local authority control so it's it's something that has happened before and there have been schools i mean there are church schools there are um grammar schools direct grant schools that you know that there have been schools in the past that have not been directly controlled by the local authority that's not the big issue the big issue here is that if a school is wanting to change its uh, status and, and wanting for whatever reason to uh, opt out of local authority control, then they and the parents will discuss it, the governors will discuss it, they'll take a view and, and, and they'll probably go ahead with it. When you force somebody to do that, force them into a structure unwillingly that they don't particularly want, you are not only fragmenting education, as I mentioned before, which is, which is what happens when you have all these different uh, multi-academy trusts in a local area but you're also creating some very um unhappy and 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 un and difficult uh relationships people in multi-academy trusts each multi-academy trust works slightly differently um i have known head teachers who've told me that in their particular multi-academy trust they cannot spend more than ten thousand. Sorry, more than two thousand pounds without the trust's approval. They can't choose their own um, curriculum materials. They can't um, employ their own staff or decide even how many staff or which staff to employ. Secondary head teachers have told me that they're not always able to run the GCSE courses or the A level courses that they would like to run because the trust has said they can't do this or they can't do that. So that lack of autonomy is there. And if you are forced into a relationship that you haven't chosen, it is almost bound to be unhappy. Of course, when it comes as a result of something like Ofsted, then the inevitable consequence is, and I don't know of any exceptions to this, when a school changes ownership and moves from one trust to another or from local authority control to a trust, the head teacher loses their job. Some other people may lose their jobs as well, but the head teacher always loses their job and, and and that i think is is pernicious that that's really really unfair i mean it, it you know it fits with you know the the, the absolutely tragic events that mm. that have occurred at the start of this year obviously you know you've you, mm. you've written and we, we are going to come to it and i keep teasing it but <laughs> we are going to come to the the articles that you've you've written in the, in the second part of the show after the news but you know you you, you were you were aware of of, of Ruth Perry, um, who, who everyone knows now. Uh, she was, you know, being Reading based. She was a very big part of of Caversham, which is, if you're not quite sure on Reading, it's it's kind of a, a suburb of, of Reading. Um, and and you know this this kind of pressure, this this kind of expectation, this kind of um, you know deliberate uh, agenda, I guess, in a lot of respects, it is having you know, absolutely tragic consequence, absolutely serious consequences on, you know, not just schools, but, you know, then communities on top of that. And and there is there is a lot of, of, of anger, a lot of resentment. 
you know, we know of, we had them on the on the weekly review a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, there's a school that is currently in the process of, of, of taking Ofsted to court. So there are, there's, there is a growing movement in, in education, which, you know, you, you've commented on, on really, really well, John, um, to, to, you know, to, to kind of change the momentum, to change the expectation, to change the esteem, I guess, that the, the profession is held in. Um, and, and, and for you, do you, do you see change coming? Do you feel that we are kind of building towards something bigger to be able to, to kind of, you know, right some of these wrongs that have been done to the profession over the last, you know, really sort of 10 to 12 years, you know, it's been coming for a little while, but do do you see that, that things will change? Are you hopeful that things will change long-term? I am hopeful. I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful. Uh, the rhetoric from Ofsted, I mean, Amanda Spielman hasn't really said anything very much um, in the last, well, not, not since she appeared on the Laura Koonsberg programme, which was, I think, three weeks ago. I haven't seen any public statements from her. But what she said on the Laura Koonsberg programme was quite interesting because she was talking about making some changes to the appeals process for, for Ofsted and about... Um, maybe allowing somebody to go with the head teacher to the feedback session from Ofsted so that they would have somebody to talk to afterwards and somebody with whom they could discuss things and and, and to share the pressure. Um, so there were elements that were shifting. That the, the initial response of Ofsted back in March when the report on Caversham Primary was first uh, published and the um the bbc then immediately did a program i think they'd been waiting for the report to, to publish to, to screen this program um and, and they immediately did a program about what had happened and about ruth's sad death um the response at that time from ofsted was well everything's okay and nothing's going to change we're, we're we're happy with what we're doing so the fact that on the law of coonsberg program Amanda Spielman was saying something slightly different and it was only slightly different. It wasn't a big change, but it was a slight difference. It showed that there was movement. I think the next key moment will come when there's an inquest and I don't know what the inquest will find, but I would be very surprised if there's not some link to Ofsted made by the coroner. On 10 occasions in the past, Ofsted has been cited by coroners as a factor in somebody's death by suicide. And the Leeds University researchers have, have discovered that the 10, I knew of about four, but, but they have discovered that there were 10. Now those have never had the effect that, that, that Ruth's death has had. They have never moved things the way Ruth's death has. They've never galvanized the profession the way Ruth's death has. And the reason for that, I think, is very simple. The reason is that Julia's, uh, that Ruth's sister, Julia, is incredibly courageous, incredibly dignified, very, very articulate, and willing to stand up and hold Ofsted to account and say this isn't good enough. When a tragic event like this happens and has happened in the past, families have tended to close in on themselves and, they, and they've been alone with their grief and, and, and it has been very um, hard 
for other people to to comment to to, to draw conclusions to say anything um you you, you don't want to, to to hurt people more the families have been hurt dreadfully and you don't want to hurt them more by saying anything but julia's dignified courageous response to her sister's death has allowed other people to draw the conclusions and to make the commentaries that really need to be made and that's what's united the profession and across the the, the, the profession i see lots of people lots of things on social media lots of blogs lots of comments lots of conversations that i've had with with people saying well i thought it was just me i i thought i was the only one who felt like this and we're discovering that actually ofsted is having this effect on thousands and thousands and thousands of of, of, of teachers and head teachers and school governors and even parents in some cases feeling absolutely desperately um destroyed by by ofsted and so we've got a unity in the profession we've got ofsted beginning to move a little bit and when i think i, I think when the inquest is held that will be the next occasion when there will be a focus of people's concerns and, and i do think there will be change i think there will be um radical change it's also the case of course that there will be a new his majesty's chief inspector before the end of the year and so somebody will come in with a fresh broom with a with a with a fresh with fresh ideas um, and probably i would think if the secretary of state has any sense at all will come in with a mandate to change things so yes i think things will change i hope they change more quickly than at present looks likely but they i think they will change i think the most frustrating thing you know and i've, I've said this you know really throughout my career is that I, I, I've been through five full inspections. So, you know, two day offsets in my career and then kind of 18 months of, of monitoring visits really. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of those experiences were absolutely brilliant because mm -hmm. the people that you were dealing with, or I was dealing with, or the school was dealing with kind of just got it. They were educators. They knew what they'd done their research on, on not just the school from a, you know, results point of view and academic point of view, but from a, you know, a pastoral point of view and, and, a, and a social economic background, community-wise point of view. But the frustration, certainly for me in, in education, kind of going into school every day, is that you are listening to what is essentially, you know, in my opinion, absolute nonsense from mm. people on these shows that have, have not been in education, that don't have an education background, that are just saying things that are so far-fetched so unachievable and so completely out of touch with what is going on in schools that's that's the biggest frustration and and they are allowed to have you know in in some cases an absolutely tragic effect on on people that are involved in that so yeah i i would agree with you i i, I hope that there is change i think you know the, the profession is starting to come together a little bit more than, than maybe it was 18 months ago in terms of moving in the right direction um but you know we'll we'll see we'll see how that pans out um we're gonna head to news now and then uh, you'll be back with myself and my guest john cosgrove on the tuesday twilight show um here in reading
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. SATs have made the news again as many media outlets report on allegations that children were distraught after the reading paper. The BBC website reports that parents and teachers of Year 6 pupils said the paper was difficult and that it had left some pupils in tears. In response to concerns, the Department for Education said it worked to ensure that all tests are appropriate. Whilst some parents took to social media to highlight concerns, a few also acknowledged that the tests might be good in a way to have some kind of tests before GCSE, but the schools in general are under too much pressure to perform well. Copies of the test paper cannot be published until all pupils in Year 6 have had the chance to take it. Sarah Hannafin, Head of Policy for the National Association of Head Teachers, said the union was very concerned about the paper and it would be raising concerns with the Standards and Testing Agency. In Scotland, Edinburgh University students have criticised the institution's response to a marking boycott. According to BBC News, students fear their work will not be read as the university plans to continue awarding degrees without necessary expertise to cope with the UK-wide industrial action. The marking boycott is part of the latest phase of industrial action by members of the university and college union at 145 institutions across the UK. Union members are refusing to undertake marking duties and assessment-related work. In response, universities are considering a number of measures, including changing marking guidelines and basing final grades on work already submitted. Many students have expressed sympathy towards staff, but also frustration that industrial action has had little impact on anyone but students, as universities have not reopened negotiations. The University of Edinburgh said it has robust measures in place to reduce the impact of industrial action and that work, including dissertations, would be read. Schools Week comment on teacher burnout after a report from Wellbeing Service Education Support shows a quarter of leaders, teachers and support staff said additional responsibilities were adding on average four to six hours to their working week. 15% of staff said they were spending an extra seven to ten hours supporting pupils. The collapse in support services feeding into schools, including creaking mental health support and overwhelmed SEND services, has left schools and their staff struggling to cope. Jeff Barton, General Secretary of School Leaders Union ASCOL, said schools had become the de facto and unofficial branch of social and healthcare services, but that a lack of training, resources or capacity was putting staff under considerable workload stress. The most common additional responsibilities included offering pupils and colleagues emotional support and dealing with difficult pupil behaviour. More than one quarter of staff surveyed said they had prepared food for pupils who didn't have any and 41% said they had purchased supplies such as pens, paper and school bags. In the same YouGov survey, two thirds of school staff said public bodies such as CAMS and social services had been unable to offer pupils support. Further details of the findings can be found on the Schools Week website. The Guardian reported on a proposal to recruit school leavers into healthcare service apprenticeships, which would allow tens of thousands of doctors and nurses to train on the job. The NHS workforce plan could see up to 1 in 10 doctors 
and one third of student nurses train through this vocational path in coming years. The alternative route would circumvent the standard undergraduate or graduate route. The plans have been met with criticism by unions, but Amanda Pritchard, Chief Executive of NHS England, has been speaking to pupils at a North East Comprehensive School, where she encouraged pupils to earn while they learn, and highlighted the 350 different roles available within the NHS. Finally, in Wales, the BBC reports that the increasing cost of food means school caterers are struggling to deliver on the Welsh Government plan for universal free school meals. The unit price was set with an assumption about possible cost increases, but Education Minister Jeremy Miles said the world has obviously moved on and a further review was needed. The current rate of around £2.90 per child in a primary school is being described as no longer viable, as price increases of 20% on items like milk, cheese, fruit and vegetables take their toll. The Universal Free School Meals Plan is being rolled out in phases to all primary schools, although a target for every child in reception year one and year two to be offered a free school meal by April has been missed. The policy has been welcomed, but challenges needed to be acknowledged. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I've been searching for crazy technology. The tech I found ranges from rather funny to actually quite useful. Let's see if I can blow your mind. Everyone has probably used Google Translate at some point, even if it's just to translate a word into another language and back again to see if it changes. Well, the Google Pixel earbuds paired with the Pixel phone allow you to switch on conversation mode. Now what is being said to you in a foreign language is translated into your earbuds in real time. What you say is translated and projected via your phone. You do need an Android 6.0 or higher to do this, but this has potential to be a game changer for communicating not only when traveling, but in hospitality too. Next up is a quirkier invention, Smarty Pans. There aren't many things you can't connect to an app, and the frying pan is now joining the club. The Smarty Pan has a built-in scale to weigh your food as you add it to the pan, a handle that tells you when the pan is at temperature, and the app guides you through how to cook a meal you're preparing. Also, the nutritional content of your meal is calculated by the app. There's no advertised price for this pan yet, but keep your eyes peeled. It replaces a cookbook, reading the nutrition on a packet, and your kitchen scales, as long as you fry everything. My final crazy technology is the Hushmi. This is an invention for those concerned about being overheard by others when talking on their phone or other connected devices. It works by muffling your voice so others can't hear you, keeping private conversations private. Genius, I hear you say. I need one so I can work during my commute. Before you break out the credit card, it is a rather chunky device you wrap around your whole head. I'd describe it as a pair of large headphones that connect to a cup to cover your mouth. At just over £180 and making you look like Darth Vader, you may want to do a bit of research first. Do you know of any crazy tech? Do you own any? As always, why not get in touch at TT Radio Official? I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Yes, indeed, that was the news here on Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, You are back live with myself, Ben Thomas, and my guest, John Cosgrove. Um, In the first part of the show, uh, we were talking kind of what what the key issues really for John were in in or, or are rather in um you know in the current state of player of education in, in 2023 and kind of you know building on that theme um 
John has, has, well, I mean, he's written lots of articles over the years, but, you know, the, the two most prominent ones recently, um, you know, the first one is is The Cruelties of Ofsted, um, and the second one, I've, I've got them here, uh, it's called Seize the Moment. Now, obviously, we've, we don't want to make this into, um, you know, a, a solely Ofsted-focused podcast because there's been so much written, so much uh, energy put into discussing um, what uh, has been said around that. But ultimately, you know, the, the kind of the narrative around the change that's needed and the, the, the narrative around, you know, what's what's going to happen moving forward is, is a really interesting one. And, and, you know, before the news, John kind of uh, told us what, what he felt was, was going to happen moving forward. Um, the, the article really, John, that I want to focus on is, is seize the moment, um, if that's okay with you. And, and the reason for that, is there are there are so many people that have got all these fantastic ideas, and that's that's great. We love ideas, you know. I think in order to be a good teacher, you need to be able to learn and, and listen to uh, you know to different perspectives on a regular basis to inform your own practice. But one of the things that that you do that, in my opinion, marks you out from from other um, education commentators is you've got plans, you've got ideas. Um, and I said before the news, you know, my, my main frustration is that people like you, um, people that have, have, have done the job for many years, people that have got a lot of experience, regardless of what position they held, aren't consulted and they're not listened to. Um, and that, that really is a big problem because you need the past, in my opinion, to be able to define what happens in the future. It, you know, whether that's from a, a bad experience or a good experience in the past, we need that experience and, and expertise to be able to move, you know, the profession forward, really. Um, and I, I kind of, you know, if you've not if you've not read the article, please go out and do it. It's on WordPress. Um, you know, if you just Google John Cosgrove, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be there. Um, but, you know, this article sees the moment what was the kind of inspiration for writing that? Where did you get the kind of idea to go, I'm going to put pen to paper, I'm going to come up with these, I think it's six, yeah, six different steps. What, you know, what led you to to write that basically, John? Well, I think we were talking before the news about the, um, the, the possibility of movement from Ofsted and the visible, visible movement in Amanda Spielman's um, comments from before uh, Easter up to her, her interview with Laura Koonsberg just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and and there, there was movement. The huge number, I mean, something like 4,000 teachers and senior leaders have responded to the survey run by ICT Mr. P um, and, and have given first-hand accounts. I've also read dozens of blogs on the same context and all these the first-hand accounts on the survey run by ICT Mr P and, and the blogs that I've read are all people giving their first-hand experiences of poor experiences with Ofsted and I, I will say and I must say and you said it earlier Ben and, it, and it's absolutely right there have been I have known some fantastic Ofsted inspectors I have known Ofsted inspectors who've been really really helpful and I have um, I've was inspected myself as a I was actually a deputy the first time I was I was inspected so as a senior leader as a deputy and a head I've been inspected nine times um, under different frameworks and 
most of those occasions were extremely good experiences, extremely helpful. But the problem is that the one or the two that aren't can really destroy careers, can, can end careers, and in some tragic cases can end lives. They damage schools, they damage children. And what these accounts that were, were being given on, on the survey run by ICT, Mr P, and, and the, um, I, I'm saying it like that, by the way, ICT Mr P, because if you um, look on Facebook or on Twitter and go for ICT Mr P, you'll find this survey there and you'll see the thousands of accounts, the first hand accounts. Um, but what those, those accounts, what, what the blogs that I've read were, were saying, were telling everybody was that there is an awful lot of upset emotion, anxiety. There's a lot of, of um, real anger in the teaching profession about Ofsted. The pressure that preparing for Ofsted, waiting for Ofsted puts on, on people, the pressure that poor Ofsted judgments put on people, the pressure that senior leaders who in turn feel under pressure from Ofsted put on people. All of this is, is fueling what we were talking about before about the recruitment and retention crisis. It, it, it's making um, teaching a must, much less uh, enjoyable occupation than it should be. Um, so there's a lot of anger around and a lot of emotion around. And I began to see people saying, well, what we should do is this and, and coming up with quite detailed plans of, of how Ofsted should be replaced. Then other people were saying, well, actually, what we should do is we should um, not replace Ofsted, but maybe we should tweak it and, and, and do this slightly differently and that slightly differently. And then NEU um, sponsored a, an inquiry, which is being led by um, Jim Knight, a former schools minister in the Labour government, uh, which will set out their plans for how they would replace Ofsted. And I was beginning to see all around people coming out with, we need to replace Ofsted with this and with that. And the trouble with that is all of these are fantastic. It's fantastic that people are thinking about it. They're thinking about a future where Ofsted is different. They're recognizing that that is a real possibility now. But the problem with this is that if you go down too many disparate routes, if you say we have a model and somebody else says we have a model and somebody else says we have a model for replacing Ofsted and they're all different, then we're going to end up with something that Ofsted itself and the Department for Education can say, well, you can't agree on what you want, so we'll carry on as we are. And, and so we'll, it's a recipe for no change. It comes back to I was talking before about fragmentation. We have a, a profession which I think it's unprecedented in my time as a teacher has been united around a single issue um, maybe not unprecedented, maybe there have been issues in the past like um, the free school meals campaign and so on, but this, this certainly is a very rare moment where the profession is united, it's angry, it's desperate for change. And so I thought, well, what is it that people want? We do need a regulator, we absolutely do. We're spending public money and I talked before about the privilege and the trust that parents put in us, that society puts in us the privilege of, of, of working with children. We need to, to be sure that children are getting the best deal they can. So we need a regulator. But 
what I've discovered reading all these accounts is that what most people want is a regulator that we can guarantee that we can be sure will be fair, that, that will treat people with respect, will treat um, teachers with respect. I find it absolutely incomprehensible that an Ofsted inspector would put their hands up in front of a head teacher's face and say, stop talking, I don't want to listen to you. Now, if a child did that in the classroom, you would tell them how rude it was. For one professional to do it to another and to a school leader is absolutely incredible. But I have read accounts where this has happened. So we need a regulator that treats us with respect. We need a regulator that is knowledgeable and supportive. And we I need... Mean, sorry, go on. No, I mean, I was going to say, you know, one of the... One of the... <laughs> One of the key points about this, and we said this right at the start, and you, well, you brought it up actually, John, was was the word trust. And mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right in in terms of, you know, that and I'm not going to read everything you've said here, but in in terms of the six points, and obviously I know you know them, John, but but some mm -hmm. people listening might might not have uh, read the article just yet. But you know, you say abolish overall judgments. I think we can all agree on that one because labels don't help anyone. We're always very very clear that labels don't help children. That's mm -hmm. been something that's gone on for, for, for many, many years. So why do it to a school? Um, set up an independent fair appeals process. I would I'd counterpoint that by saying if, if the process is fair to start with, <laughs> then we probably wouldn't we wouldn't need an appeals process. But it, it's a good point to chuck in, given that, mm -hmm. as you say, there's going to need to be, you know, a state of flux between the different, um, you know, way forwards that, that people come up with um, remove safeguarding from from offset inspections uh, stop insisting and th this for me was the key one stop insisting that head teachers or senior managers managers must keep the result of inspections to themselves until the report is published it's a little bit like when you do sats and you have to cover the displays that you know full well that the children haven't looked at for the last you know three or four months it, yeah. it's one of those scenarios really and then number five, set up an independent review of the arrangements for inspecting schools and other educational settings. And then six basically sums it all up. While awaiting the outcome of this review, pause all inspections unless and until the changes listed in one in points one to four are made. Um, and you know, you, you made the point when when we started talking about this that it is it is absolutely foolish to have all these different groups going off in different directions and saying, well, this is what we need. We need this. We need that. They're utterly pointless if we're not going to get consensus on the way forward. Mm -hmm. And and my big thing, you know, reading what you've written, not just in this article, but but generally, um, you know, reading other people's kind of comments as well, is that whoever is inspecting schools has to be an expert in the education field. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, being a head teacher, a senior leader, but someone who has been in, in a range of schools for a minimum period of time yeah, and, and having, you know, the authority to say, well, in my experience, this is what happened. I can see what this school is trying to do. You know, uh, they need to do X, Y, Z to improve it or to maintain it or whatever. Having people rooted in education to assess what is going on in education for me is, is, is the one change, if I could only have one, would be the one change that I would I would expect to see. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think, you know, in terms of, of, of the other points that you've made in, in Seize the Moment, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very timely. And I, I think 
well, I, I would encourage people to go out and read this article because there is, you know, John John kind of paints a really clear picture of what needs to happen moving forward. And I, my only hope really is that, that people like John, you know, other people that are involved in education for a long period of time are, are consulted in these changes properly and that they actually ask schools to feed back on that process. Um, I know that's a massive job. It's going to have to be a massive job because we can't continue where we are. But the, the changes need to happen. Um, and, and this seems like a, a, a good starting point for me. Um, well, thank you, I mean, that, that, that's kind of you to, 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 to say that. that, that that's, you know, kind of, I, I, I do think when we get to the, to the stage of, of having an independent review, and I think we need to have an independent review, we need to take in all these views. And as I said before, I think it's great that people are thinking about and, and, and um, imagining a world post Ofsted and, and how Ofsted might be changed. But as you've absolutely correctly said, if everybody's going off in diff different directions, it, 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 it's self-defeating. It, 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 it won't it won't help. It won't it won't um, allow us to make the changes that are needed. Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely not a problem at all. We're gonna we're gonna have uh, one final uh, comment from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back to uh, close the show. This program has been brought to you by the Happy Confident Company, our clinically approved, ready to go well-being and mental health program will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. You are back live with myself, Ben Thomas, on the Tuesday Twilight Show with my guest, John Cosgrove. Um, if you're just joining us, where have you been? We've, we've had a, a really long discussion about, you know, the, the key points in education at the moment. Um, and and to, kind of, to kind of wrap it all up and, and, and close out the show, um, and this is, this is quite a big question, John, so, so bear with me. But, you know, people are, people are looking for leadership you know, not just in their schools, but, you know, in their uh, local education authorities, in their mats, in their, um, you know, county councils, in, the, in their government, really. Um, for anyone who is finding it difficult at the moment to do their job, I wouldn't use the word effectively because that looks different in, in a lot of different settings. But, you know, we, we talked at the start about enjoyment, about trust, about privilege. For anyone who is who is not kind of feeling those things at the moment, what advice would you give to those people that are, you know, potentially struggling with with the role at the moment? What kind of things would you say to them right now? I think everybody needs somebody, a peer, a colleague, somebody that they can really talk to and and, and you know really close. Um, colleagues, close um, confidants, um, really do help in, in those kind of situations. I had, I mean, you, you, you probably know where my school is and, and you will know that, or my school was, it's not my school anymore. <laughs> um, it never was in the sense that I owned it, but, but it, it was the school I worked in. And you probably know where it is, but for those who, who don't, there is a, a road, um, a cul-de-sac, and 
our school was on the north side of the cul-de-sac and on the south side of the cul-de-sac there were two other schools a junior and an infant school and the head teacher of the junior school became a very very close personal friend very close um lovely lovely man and i used to ring him up and i used to ring him up and say oh god you'll never guess what's happened now and he would ring me up and we would meet outside of school and and i do think it is important head teachers need to go to their cluster meetings and need to share with each other not in the sense of going around and and, and saying my school's better than yours or i've got this and i've got that and so but going around and, and actually saying you know that this isn't going well how do you do this how do you do that and sharing like that colleagues generously supporting each other they don't even have to be people in the same mat you know just, just people who understand the pressures of the job i think is really really important i wrote a book years ago about stress in in education um it's out of date now and i don't recommend recommend anybody to buy it because last time i looked even the kindle version was something like 39 quid which i find absolutely iniquitous but anyway i, I wrote a book about uh, stress and pressures in education and one of the things that really does help with pressure with stress is sharing sharing it uh, and you can always tell when somebody's under stress uh, again going back to to the book one of the things in the research i did for writing it one of the things i found was all these experiments that had been done in the 40s and 50s with stress and and, and, and the effects of it and one of the things that that, that, that that I will always remember is the series of experiments done where rats were deliberately stressed out. They were deliberately put under intolerable, intolerable pressure. And one of the things they found in this was they did all sorts of experiments, having placed, placed these rats under intolerable pressure. But one of the things they found was that if you gave a big rat, a small rat to bite, then the big rat wasn't stressed anymore. So that's a process that you sometimes see in schools that, that people are under so much pressure that they will be very aggressive towards others in the school, you know, whether it be other staff or pupils or whatever. The way of avoiding that, the way of avoiding that toxic stress, that toxic pressure is actually to share with each other, to share as equals, to talk to people and, and, and to, um, to recognize that you're not on your own. You know, one of the things that, that I find most sad about Ruth and her tragic death is that she had been told, as we are all told as school leaders after Ofsted has left, they tell you, you must not share the results of our conclusions, our verdict until the report is published. And in Ruth's case, that was months. It went from November through December and into January and that lack of sharing if she had had somebody that she could have really talked to as an equal I think she shared with her sister but her sister wasn't a teacher and wasn't working in schools if she could have just offloaded to somebody who who she knew really would understand if they could have talked about it well what what does this mean and so on that gives you the safety valve and and it's really really important to have that safety valve I don't know if that makes much sense. Did, did... No, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. I was, you know, I was fascinated listening to you really about, you know, sharing and, and kind of stress levels because actually there is, and I had, bizarrely, I had this conversation with someone who who, who is, is a teacher in our school today. And, and I, <clears throat> I always think now what's the worst case scenario 
in this? Mm-hmm. You know, what what is the worst thing that's going to happen? Um, and invariably, what you know, the worst case is that you're going to fall out with someone and you're going to have to go and look for another job, of which at the moment, luckily, there are plenty. It doesn't instantly make you a bad educator or a bad educational mm-hmm. professional, whatever. But actually, you know, what there is a reluctance and a fear there to show vulnerability. And and what you said about, you know, your experiences in terms of, of having someone, you know, physically near you, mm-hmm. it, but in a different school, you know, there isn't, there isn't enough um, opportunity, I guess, for collaboration and for sharing and for, you know, problem solving. That's what that's what teachers do. You know, they they make more decisions a day than than brain surgeons do. That's that's you know, Google it as a mm-hmm. fact. It's I can't remember how many it is, but it's it's ridiculous. Um, and and teachers by their very nature and, and educational professionals by their very nature are, are problem solvers. That's what they want to do. Um, and, and kind of work through particular issues. And when when people aren't given the options to do that, you know, stress builds, there's then emotional reactions and so on. So I think you're absolutely spot on. And that's, that. you know, that's a great piece of advice, really. And, and just as we would say to anyone who's, who's struggling, just talk, talk about it, you know, share the problem. They might not be able to solve it straight away, but you, you've then got an outlet to do that. So mm. I think that's that's fantastic advice. And, and I just hope that, that people listening to this, you know, kind of <laughs> listen to what you've said really and, and, and kind of take that on board and, and do it. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it really is so vital that, that there are people that can help you, um, and, and kind of develop those, those personal and professional relationships really, which is, which is vital. Um, we are incredibly, John, we've been talking for, for nearly an hour and a half now. So we are, mm-hmm. we're almost out of time. Um, John, thank you so much for, you know, for giving up your time and, and coming to talk to me today um, and kind of sharing your wisdom, really. Um, have you have you enjoyed being on the show? I have. I have. Thank you very much. And thank you for being so understanding about the technical issues last week and, and me being a bit late this week. I mean, I, I, I'm a bit of a, a Neanderthal as far as technology is concerned. I, I'm not very good with it. So I have eventually made it work and I have enjoyed this evening. Thank you. And thank you for, for, for your kind comments and, and um, your thoughts and ideas and, and, and probing questions as well. Thank you very much. No, John, it's been an absolute pleasure to, um, you know, it's been a long time coming, having you on the show, but thank you so much for, for coming on. And, and, you know, if you want to hear more from John, he's on, he's on Twitter, just type in John Cosgrove. He's on there. Um, you know, lots of interesting articles that, that he puts up uh, lots of, you know, good retweets as well. And, and, and lots of, you know, really, you know, for me personally, really, really good comments that, that resonate with, with kind of how I'm feeling at the moment. And, you know, it, it goes back to, to the the fundamental principle that, w- that we talked about at the start that, you know, the teaching profession is about trust. It's about privilege. Um, and it's about enjoyment. And, and those things really, are, you know, for me, and, and as John has said, are absolutely pivotal to, to what we've been doing, really. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be back. I think we're back next week. Actually, I've got um, I've got a science teacher on next week. It'd be quite interesting to to talk to them about about you know what they do day to day. If you missed any part of the show, it's available on uh, wherever you get your your podcast from. So just type in uh, Teacher Talk Radio and Ben Thomas, and you can hear the whole thing back, and and you'll see all the rest of the shows there. Um, thank you to my guest John Cosgrove. Have a really good rest of the week, and we will see you next time on Teacher Talk Radio. Thank you, Ben.
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.